The Franklin Church of Christ wants to thank you for joining us in this study of God's Word. In this lesson, Edwin Crozier contrasts earthly wisdom with godly wisdom from James 3, verses 13 to 18. Open your Bible and follow along and learn who among us is really wise. We all like to consider ourselves wise. But one of the things we learn from the Word of God is that just because we think we are wise does not mean that we are wise. Take a look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. We find in this passage that there are, in fact, two kinds of wisdom. There is the wisdom that is from above, and there is the wisdom that is from below. And we must take great care to make sure that we have the proper wisdom. In James chapter 3 and verse 13, James wrote, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The reason this passage is so important for us to study is our goal as a congregation is to glorify our Father in heaven. We know from John chapter 15 and verse 8 that if we desire to glorify our Father in heaven, we must bear fruit which glorifies Him. And here in verse 18, James says, "...the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace." If we want the fruit of righteousness, fruit which glorifies our Father in heaven, then we've got to make sure that we have real wisdom, that we have God's wisdom, that we're not bound up in the wisdom of men that is found here and propagated by those in the earth. James asks, who is wise among you? Let's contrast these different wisdoms that we find here. The kind of wisdom that we want to get rid of in James chapter 3 and verse 14, James says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. How can we see this wisdom? First, we'll notice that this wisdom has bitter jealousy. Look in Acts 13 and verse 45. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 45, we find an example of this jealousy and what it causes. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 45, Paul had come into the city and folks were happy to hear the gospel. They wanted to hear him again the next week. But then when the Jews saw the crowds that came to him, in Acts 13 and verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. What happened because of jealousy? They turned their back on the will of God and they began to attack Paul and his teaching in Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 18, we find that it was envy, bitter jealousy 
that put Jesus on the cross. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 18, it says of Pilate that he wanted to release Jesus to them, for he knew, in Matthew 27 and verse 18, he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. What a dreadful thing jealousy and envy is. It's awful. And it causes all manner of problems. Those who are jealous, they don't like it when others are receiving their blessings. They get upset when somebody else is the one that's receiving the credit. They get upset when it's somebody else's plans and ideas that are followed. They get upset when they're not the ones being listened to. They're jealous. They're envious. And they just can't stand it. And because of that, they'll begin to grumble. And they'll begin to complain. And they'll begin to slander. And sometimes, they will even sabotage and attack. Do you remember the shock we felt when we learned that Olympic hopeful Tanya Harding was involved in the January 6, 1994 attack on her possible teammate Nancy Kerrigan? All because of jealousy. When we see what jealousy and envy causes, can you imagine what would happen in a congregation where even just one member was bound up with this earthly, natural, demonic wisdom that produces bitter jealousy in their life. That must not be named among us. But it's not just bitter jealousy. There's also selfish ambition. Not only can they not stand for anyone else to be out ahead of them, to receive the limelight or the credit, they are constantly trying to push themselves forward. This is the idea of politicking, to gain ground and prestige and honor among the brethren. In some places, it's translated contentiousness. Because those who are selfishly ambitious or self-seekers are constantly contending. They're in competition. The way they see it, that there's only so much of this out here, and if you've got some of it, I don't have it. And so I'm going to be contending and competing to get it from you. Whether it's credit, honor, glory. And so constantly competing trying to be better than everyone else. And if I can't be better than you, then I'll have to knock you down so that folks will think that I am better than you. That's what happens with earthly wisdom. But do you remember what Paul said in Philippians? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul said, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Empty conceit, selfishness, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. These things are not to be named among us. This is not godly wisdom. This is earthly wisdom. And it will not help a congregation grow. It will destroy the congregation. We must be careful. What kind of wisdom do we have? Do we have the kind of wisdom that's constantly pushing us out in front? Saying that folks ought to listen to us because we've got all the answers? If so, we don't have the right kind of wisdom. 
How does God describe the wisdom that we ought to have? In James chapter 3 and verse 17, He describes it. He says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. The first thing we recognize is that this wisdom is pure. It's unsullied. It's undefiled. This wisdom does not work with hidden agendas or ulterior motives. What you see is what you get. It's pure. And it is from a pure motive. We just want what's best for God's people. We just want what will help God's people. Pure and truly motivated. But secondly, not only is it pure, but it's also peaceable. The wisdom that is from above seeks peace on two levels. First and foremost, we want peace with God. We want those that are part of this congregation, we want everyone in the world to have peace with God. That means we don't allow sin to go unchecked. We do not strive for peace among us to the extent that we allow sin to go unhindered and unchecked and undisciplined. Because we recognize that when sin enters the camp, we do not have peace with God. And that's what we want. And wisdom which is from above seeks peace with God. In fact, in James chapter 4 and verse 4, James pointed out how important it is to have peace with God. He says in James 4 and verse 4, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We don't want to be enemies with God. We want to be friends with God. We want peace with God. And that's what the wisdom that is from above seeks, first and foremost. Peace with God. But then secondarily, peace among us. We want peace with our brethren. And those who have wisdom that is from above, they're not seeking to draw lines and cause battles and be contentious and have all kinds of problems. They want peace. They want to find unity. They want us to figure out some ground upon which we can work together toward a common goal in the bond of peace and in the unity of the Spirit. And that is what wisdom which is from above strives for. Peace. It's not about vengeance. It's not about retribution. It's not about getting my way. It's about being able to work together. It's not about being able to put everybody else in their place. It's about being able to put them up on a pedestal. Honoring them so that we can have peace. That's the kind of wisdom that comes from above. It's not only pure and peaceable, but it's also gentle. Perhaps the best way for us to understand what this means is to look at contrasts. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18, Peter says, Servants, Be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Or perhaps your translation uses a term that says something like harsh or abusive. Gentleness is the opposite of harshness. Instead of being vengeful and spiteful and looking for retribution and revenge, instead of being abusive and abrasive and aggressive, supposed to be gentle, kind, and good. 2 Timothy, excuse me, Titus chapter 3 and verse 2. Titus chapter 3 and verse 2. And the contrast is really shown very well in the King James Version. 
where he says that we're not supposed to, that we are to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, and then in verse 2, to malign no one. The New American Standard says to be peaceable, gentle. You got the King James that says, not a brawler, but gentle. You see the contrast there? There are those who are brawlers. They're looking for a fight. Drawing lines in the sand. And everything is about how can I push my way and who can I get into it with to either get them to be what I expect them to be. That's brawling. But instead we're to be gentle. How can we be kind and good and loving toward one another? That's what the wisdom from above is. Even when we're having to correct sin. Even when we're having to correct sin. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul wrote, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. When we restore one, it's supposed to be with a spirit of gentleness. Not abrasive, not abusive, not retro not looking for retribution or revenge, but being gentle. Looking to ourselves to make sure that we do not fall prey to temptation as we're striving to help someone else else be restored. The wisdom which is from, from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. Then it's reasonable. The New King James Version translates this, willing to yield. This doesn't mean that the person who has godly wisdom is a doormat or a pushover. But what it means is that the person who has godly wisdom is able to recognize that my way is not the only way. Perhaps at times my way is not even the best way. And the person who has wisdom which is from above has learned to be able to listen to others. He's learned to be able to look at others as more important and to yield to their interests and to be reasonable about it. Oh, I don't know how many times I've been involved in things that were not reasonable, where I was not willing to yield, because how easy it is for us to believe that our way of doing things is the way. But wisdom which is from above is willing to yield. It's willing to give to others. To allow them to have their way instead of forcing them to my way or the highway. Willing to yield. Reasonable. That's the wisdom that comes from God. And it's full of mercy. It's full of compassion. It's not full of judgment and vengeance and hate and malice and anger. It's full of mercy. The wisdom which is from above wants people to have forgiveness. Like God wants us to have forgiveness. God is not willing that any should perish, but is patient that all might come to repentance. We ought to be full of that mercy. Look in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 7. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 7. Jesus, as He rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, verse 7, He said, if you had known what this means, I desire compassion or mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned 
the innocent. He says, if you had understood what mercy was all about, you wouldn't be condemning the innocent. There are those who are constantly looking for fault. There are those who are constantly trying to figure out what everybody's sin is and trying to find sin in everybody. And Jesus says, if you had understood what it means, I desire compassion, you would not have condemned the innocent. There are far too many people that push every difference of judgment and opinion to the point of sin and every difference of action as though it's some kind of sin. From the way you raise your kids to the way we vote to all manner of things. Jesus says if we understood compassion and mercy, we wouldn't find fault with the guiltless. We'd be looking for what's right how we can help folks grow. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 37. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 37. As Jesus concluded the parable of the Good Samaritan, He asked the one who asked Him, He said, which of these three men, the Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? The lawyer was able to tell, well, it was the one who showed mercy toward him. The wisdom which is from above is full of this mercy. What does this mercy do? It heals wounds. It does not cause them. It does not seek them out. Rather, it strives to overcome them. That's the kind of mercy that we need to be full of. That's the kind of mercy that God's wisdom is full of. The kind that heals the compassion that helps, that helps us overcome our sins and helps us grow in Christ. That's the wisdom which is from above, full of mercy and full of good fruits. By your fruits, they'll know you. To paraphrase what Jesus said, when we look at something, we can tell if it's producing figs, what is it? It's a fig tree. If it's producing grapes, what is it? It's a grapevine. In James chapter 3 and verse 12, James had just pointed that out. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? Or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. We can tell what somebody is by their fruits. When we have godly wisdom, we're going to be able to see fruit that comes from godly wisdom. What kind of fruit will we see? Well, we'll see the fruit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We'll see this kind of fruit when we have godly wisdom. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what's from above. Do we have this in our lives? We can know ourselves by our fruit. But further, the wisdom that's from above is unwavering. Or without partiality, some translations say. Without partiality, unwavering. In other words, wisdom that is from God... All these characteristics we've looked at, the purity, the the peace, the gentleness, the reasonableness, the, the mercy and the good fruits, the person who has this wisdom is this way with everybody. They're unwavering. They're impartial. 
It doesn't matter if we're dealing with the rich or the poor, the black or the white, the young or the old, the friendly or the unfriendly. It doesn't matter if we're dealing with those who have been good to us or haven't been good to us. It doesn't matter if they can be some kind of advantage to us or not. The wisdom that comes from God deals in the same way with everyone without partiality. There are far too many people that hold certain groups in awe and respect. They look for those who can provide them some kind of advantage or those who are in the in crowd as they see it. And they'll have respect for them and they'll deal with them with peaceableness and gentleness and reasonableness. But then there's others that they won't. Let's hit close to home. And I mean really close to home. Do you deal with your wife or your husband or your kids or your parents different than you do everybody else? Do you not demonstrate reasonableness and peaceableness there? What about with your brethren? Without partiality. Unwavering. We deal this way with everyone. But finally, it says that it's without hypocrisy. We have these same attributes with everyone and at every time. Not just on Sunday. Not just when we gather here together with one another do we look peaceable and pure and gentle and reasonable. But on Monday, we're doing the same thing when we're at work and when we're at home and when we're at school and when we're playing or on the sports field. We're acting the exact same way because we're not faking it. Unfeigned. Look in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. And then he goes on in the verses toward the end of the chapter there to describe what that's going to look like. And perhaps someday we can take a closer look at this passage, but let's just read the description of love without hypocrisy for tonight. He says, let love be without hypocrisy, Romans 12, 9. Abhor what is evil, but cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with the good. Let love be without hypocrisy. The wisdom that comes from above is without hypocrisy. It acts the same way in every place because it's not faking it for the benefit of others. It behaves this way because it's serving the Lord God. But we see a danger for us today. In James chapter 3 and verse 14, I think it demonstrates where the danger is for us. In James 3 and verse 14, it says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Here's the problem that we have. 
is that when we think we are wise, it's awfully hard at times to see that the wisdom we have is earthly wisdom. We can lie to ourselves and we can deceive ourselves. And we must take great care. Because as we spend our time passing ourselves off as the wise ones, our boasting and our arrogance is nothing more than a lie. And what a dangerous lie it is too, because when we keep reading into verse 15, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. Now that's pretty harsh, don't you think? This wisdom, it's not just bad wisdom, James says. It's not just bad for the congregation. He says it's earthly. It's natural. It's demonic. It doesn't come down from above. It comes from the pits of hell. Those who follow this, earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, I like those we read about in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul said, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. They're focused on earthly things. Their God is their appetite. That is the natural, sensual things that affect the body. These kind of folks are like those mentioned in the book of Jude, beginning at verse 16. In Jude and verse 16, the Scripture there speaks of these kind of people. He says that these are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers, following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. This is the earthly wisdom. Worldly-minded, it says, causing divisions, following after ungodly lusts. And that's what we're doing if we're bound up in earthly wisdom and lying to ourselves and deceiving ourselves into believing that we are the wise ones. If it is such a difficult thing, to test and see within ourselves. How can we test and see? I believe this verse, chapter 3 and verse 16, provides some help in understanding how we can tell. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. goes back to the principle we talked about just a few moments ago. By our fruits, we can know us. In our lives, do we find evil things and disorder? To the extent that we find that, we see earthly wisdom, natural wisdom, demonic wisdom, bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition. What kind of fruit will we find? 
Well, I can't go through an entire list tonight. That would take a good long while. But I think we can work through the book of James and we can find in James this consistent theme. As James points out things to us that ought not be in our lives. And so let's just ask ourselves some questions about this, about how can I tell. And let's look at some verses that we find in the book of James. And I know that not all of them are in the direct context of the passage we're dealing with tonight. But I think you'll see the principle. We've been talking in theory now for a few minutes. We've been talking about the theoretical difference between godly wisdom and earthly wisdom. But now let's get down to brass tacks. Let's look at how we live. And let's ask some questions. And above all, let's be honest. Let's take a look at a few passages in the book of James and see how we measure up and whether the fruit in our lives demonstrates godly wisdom that's pure and peaceable and gentle and reasonable and all those good things, or is it earthly, natural, and demonic wisdom with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? Question one. Do you blame others for your sins? In James chapter 1 and verse 13, James said, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Those who have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are absolutely certain that, why, we don't do anything wrong. Or not much. And so when we do things wrong, what do we do? We're able to shift the blame. It wasn't my fault. It was their fault. It was God's fault. Do you ever find yourself shifting the blame for your sins, for your choices, when you find yourself pushing that off on other people? Let me assure you, you're working from earthly, ungodly wisdom not from the godly wisdom that's from above. Now, be honest. Question two. Do you have trouble listening? James chapter 1 and verse 19, James says in James 1 and verse 19, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak. Those with selfish ambition and bitter jealousy are not swift to hear and they are not slow to speak because, of course, when we have that problem, we want everybody to hear us, don't we? We've got the answers. We've got the solutions. Why don't you all just be quiet for a minute and listen to me? Do you find that you don't listen to others? Do you find that you are constantly trying to give your two cents worth of advice to anyone who and everyone will hear? Forcing your way into their lives to try to get them to be more like you? Now be honest. Because that's earthly, ungodly wisdom. Godly wisdom is quick to hear and slow to speak. But in the same verse, we also find this. Do you anger easily? There in James chapter 1 and verse 19, he said, not only are we quick to hear and slow to speak, but slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. 
Do we find that we get angry easily? Those with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition get angry very easily, especially when other folks won't listen. When you disagree with me and you won't step over with me, I can get angry real quick. Because you ought to do things my way. And why can't you see that my way is the best way? But godly wisdom is not quick to anger. Godly wisdom is not filled with vengeance and malice, outbursts of wrath and retribution, resentment or bitterness. It doesn't anger easily. Oh, no doubt, you'll get angry at sin. But it's able to very well make the distinction between what's sin and what's just your way versus my way. Do you treat different groups differently? In James chapter 2, verse 1, James said, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, Oh, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Not pure motives. Evil motives. Do you treat different groups differently? The rich, those who can provide us with great advantage... And we'll deal with them with respect and awe and we'll honor them. Or maybe those who are brought up in the church whose family are preachers and elders. Why, we'll honor them. But you don't have the church of Christ's heritage. Or maybe those who are from the south, we'll honor them, but Yankees, I mean, we can't put up with them very much, can we? Or maybe vice versa. Race, gender, class, nationality, background. Do we hold some in high esteem, but others we treat with indifference and sometimes contempt? Be honest. Do you deal with folks differently? Do you give advice but little help? In James chapter 2 and verse 14, James says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works, can that faith save him? And then he gives an illustration. He says in verse 15, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you don't give them what's necessary for their body, what use is that? Is that us sometimes? We want to give everybody good advice and tell them, here's, here's the way it will really work. Or we want to just tell them, oh, everything's going to work out fine. Oh, just trust God. He'll take care of you. But we don't do what's necessary to help them. I mean, let's face it, that takes time. That takes money. That takes sacrifice. I mean, it's easy for me to just give you advice. It's easy for me just to pat you on the back and say, hey, I'm praying for you. But can we take the time to help and to serve? 
Do you give lots of advice? But you don't ever give any real help? And be honest. I tell you what, one of the worst. And I am as bad at this as any. But how often do we find ourselves saying, hey, if you need anything, just call me. And we know full well they need things. And we know full well they're not going to call us. Boy, I was slap smack in the face with this. One of my good friends and elders back in Texas was in the hospital. And I said, hey, Wesley, if you need anything, just let me know. He said, hey, could you cut my grass? He was actually joking with me, but I, it, it really, it got me. Because I realized I was saying that, because why? That's what I'm supposed to say. If you need anything, call me. But I didn't want to go cut his grass. Do you give advice, but not willing to do anything to serve? Do you curse men? Do you speak evil or grumble against your brethren? James chapter 3 and verse 9. As it talks about the tongue and the restless evil and full of deadly poison, in James 3 and verse 9 it says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Do you find that you gather here and you sing all these praises, but then in the foyer you're bad-talking other folks? Chapter 4 and verse 11. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Chapter 5 and verse 9. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Do you find that you do these kind of things? Speaking against your brethren, complaining and grumbling against them? You know, if they committed a sin, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go talk to them. You're not supposed to grumble about them to other people. And if they're not committing a sin, what are you supposed to do? Keep your mouth shut. What do you do? Be honest. Are you in many conflicts? James chapter 4 and verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Do you find that you seem consistently to be in conflict with somebody? That there's always some kind of struggle and always some kind of problem that you've got going on with someone. You're always in battle. Always embittered and embroiled with somebody over something, no matter how great or how trivial. No doubt there are times of conflict. I understand that. The Lord said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. It's going to be there. But that shouldn't be the consistent pattern of our lives. Do you ever sit back and realize that all the problems that you have with family members and church members and work and neighbors all have one common denominator and that's you? You ever notice that? Be honest. If we find that we're constantly in quarrels and conflicts, especially among our brethren, we're going to find bitter jealousy. And selfish ambition, ungodly wisdom. 
In the same context, in verses 1 and 3 there, what is the source of your quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Verse 3, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Do you spend a lot of your time thinking about what you want? Do you look at folks as a tool to accomplish your agenda? As you see folks and the things that are happening, Do you spend your time hoping that it will all benefit you and not thinking about what will benefit others? Remember what it said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4? It's about their interests, not about ours. What do you spend your time thinking about? Be honest. And finally, do you get upset when sinners repent? In James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, James wrote, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There are some, like the prodigal's brother, they're not too happy when sinners repent. They have this idea as though this person's getting away with something. And we don't like that. We want vengeance. We want punishment. We want blood. But this says, think about what you're doing. You're turning them from error and you're saving their soul from death, covering a multitude of sins. How awesome is that? Do you find, though, that you get upset when that happens? Be honest. It's not godly wisdom if you are. These questions are not exhaustive. Just representative. What kind of fruit do you find in your life? What kind of wisdom do you have? James chapter 3 and verse 13. He began the verse by saying, Who is wise among you in understanding? Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show it by constantly telling everyone how wise and understanding he is. Is that what yours says? It's not what it says, is it? If you're really wise and understanding, the way you show it is not by constantly arguing and telling everybody, by just showing it with your good behavior, your deeds done in gentleness of wisdom. Verse 18, The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus says wisdom vindicates her children. We don't have to vindicate ourselves. We just live in wisdom. And folks will see it from our good behavior, our good conduct, our deeds done in the wisdom of righteousness. Who is wise and understanding among you? What kind of wisdom do you have? If this congregation is going to be what it can be, what it ought to be, allow me to assure you, we've got to all have the right kind of wisdom. And we've got to all demonstrate it by our good behavior, our good conduct and deeds demonstrated with wisdom. Thank you, Edwin, for that challenging look at God's wisdom.
and thank you for listening and studying with us. Remember what we learned today. Man's wisdom is marked by jealousy and selfish ambition. God's wisdom, however, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. Man's wisdom is earthly, natural, and demonic. God's wisdom is demonstrated by good behavior. Edwin asked us nine questions with which we can take a long, hard look at our lives to see if we are displaying God's wisdom or man's. Those questions were, do you blame God or others for your sins? Do you have trouble listening? Do you get angry easily? Do you treat different groups differently? Do you provide lots of advice but little real help to others? Do you grumble and complain about your brethren? Do you find yourself repeatedly in conflict with others? Do you spend most of your time thinking about what you want? Do you get upset when sinners repent and are accepted back into the fold? If you have any questions about the Franklin Church of Christ, about this lesson, or about how you can be set free by the blood of Christ to live in godly wisdom, please call us at 615-794-2359 or contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. Thank you and may God bless you.